Blackrock Sermons. You're listening to our summer series called Roots. Speaking today is Pastor Gaylord Lemke. Now I know we've all been enjoying this Roots series that we've shared with you during the summer months. It's been good to learn a little bit more about members of our ministry team and to come to know them better. And the trend seems to be to share a picture from our childhood. Uh, I'm happy to tell you that, well, there I am, Dad and me. I think I was about three years of age or younger when this picture was taken. Now, I'm happy to tell you that I include myself in this group. All of our pastors, when they were children, have that sparkle of hope in their eye. They seem to hold the promise of future leadership, and uh, they've fulfilled that. And then there's Pastor Larry. I still haven't figured out how he managed to look exactly the same when he was a child as he does today. I just don't understand that. If you were here a few weeks ago when Pastor Larry preached, he uh, superimposed, we call it photoshopping, an adult picture of his face onto a little tiny child's frame. My life story is seasoned with our Heavenly Father's compassion for the fatherless and unwillingness to allow the faith cord to be severed. When this picture was taken, I didn't know, my father didn't know, the amazing legacy of faith that would be my heritage. The strands of God's unfolding plan are woven throughout the tapestry of my childhood, a wonderful legacy of faith. In those days, we didn't have digital marking of photos, so I can't tell you exactly when this picture was taken, but Sharon and I believe that that photo was actually shot during the time when my mom and dad were separated, a divorce was taking place, my dad's response was to physically remove me from the home and to travel all over the United States, I believe even Hawaii, staying one step ahead of the police who were pursuing him, trying to take me away from dad and uh, place me back into the custody of my mother, which eventually happened. Within a few years, my father was dead from an overdose of alcohol and drugs. Mother never really fully recovered from the separation, the divorce, and dad's death. Throughout the rest of her life, she often said to me, Son, your father was the only man I ever truly loved. But when he took that first drink, he became a different person, violent, angry, impossible to live with. I've often pondered how different our lives might have been if my parents had only found a way to remain together. For you see, my upbringing, my childhood, and my family history is checkered by substance abuse, physical abuse, and intense brokenness. 
Now, before I go any further, I want to pause for a moment and tell you that I honor my mother and my father. No parent, no set of parents are perfect. And mom and dad made a lot of mistakes, but I have been commanded by the Word of God to honor them, and I do so. And the things I'm going to share with you about my family history today really is my way of honoring mother because I can use her struggles to help us find a better place in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I can't recall a time when mother ever went to church. However, for reasons that only became clear in later years, from my earliest remembrance, she sent me off to a neighborhood church each Sunday with the worship leader of that church and his family. To this day, Mother's link with them remains a mystery to me. But this connection became my lifeline. So my challenge to you this morning is, who has God placed in your life? What child? What family? What individual in your neighborhood or your workplace? And every time you see them, God is saying to you, reach out to them in the name of Jesus. Invite them to Black Rock Church and help them become connected to the Savior who means everything to us. For you see, if this worship leader had not felt compassion for me, I have no idea that I'd even be standing before you this morning. The invitation I heard one Sunday at church in second grade is one of my most vivid childhood memories. Closing my eyes, I can still retrace the steps from the very back of that church down the center aisle to the front where I knelt and gave my life to Jesus. Of course, I was soaring with excitement as I ran up the stairs to our upper-level apartment, just so excited to tell Mom what had happened. And her response sent me crashing back to earth and to reality. That's fine, son, but don't let religion go to your head. With no encouragement at home, my spiritual growth stayed at first base for many years. But despite this, because of Jesus, my life would never again be the same. I inherited a love for music from my father and began playing the trumpet in fourth grade. Long hours of practice helped fill the void created by my mother's frequent absences due to drinking binges, and my growing ability became a source of much-needed recognition and fulfillment. Eventually, I became skillful enough to catch the attention of our high school band director. When I met him for the first time, I was an introverted loner. Now, picture this. Hair down below my ears. A junior high boy with a little uh, black mustache fuzz beginning to appear on his lip. I was scruffy and rough looking. 
not the handsome man who stands before you today at all. (laughs) I was an introverted loner, desperately in need of a dad, of a role model. Although I was unaware of his recent spiritual renewal, I knew that Mr. Boko, or Mr. B as I called him, was unlike any man I had ever met. His entrance into my life signaled the next phase in God's rescue plan for Gaylord Lemke. Through his influence, I grew as a musician and even toured internationally with a group of talented high school students. He was the single-handed influence in helping me achieve a full music scholarship to university because my family was poor and I would never have been able to attend without his help. His greatest impact, however, was as a father figure and spiritual mentor. He and his wife poured countless hours of nurturing into me and became my first real family. Once again, the father heart, the father heart of God was reaching out to me through caring people. To whom is God trying to reach through you to express his heart of love? To encourage someone that they're not alone. To remind them that there is a God who created them, who loves them, and who has an amazing plan for their lives. Will you let God use you today and in all the days to come? Not surprisingly, I chose a career in music and was accepted by a university thousands of miles away from home. I was unprepared to cope with the nine loneliness created by separation from family and friends. Now picture this, a boy who lived all of his life in frigid Fairbanks, Alaska, gets on the plane, flies 2,000 miles to the University of Miami in Coral Gables, Florida. My most vivid memory during that miserable year was being in a dorm room that had no air conditioning, just those ceiling fans that I ran at high speed all the time, I would shower five times a day. I would get out of the shower, towel down, put my clothes on, and I'd be soaked. (laughs) This went on day after day after day. My natural shyness only served to aggravate the isolation closing in around me. So late one night, I reached the final knot on my emotional rope. Desperate for help, I opened the Bible Mr. B had given as a going-away present and started to read Jesus' words from the book of John. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. My eyes opened up and my nose opened up. As tears began pouring, 
The sense of belonging and security I had felt as a child in church just came rushing back upon me. It was as if unseen arms had reached to draw me close. I crumbled by my dorm room bed and asked God to come back to me. Now, you and I know he had never left, but how important it was for me to cry out these words of surrender. Dear friends, when we release control of our lives to the Lord, what happens? He straightens us out. We all know that. So it was that my path started to change. The following year, I began sensing God's call to serve Him as a pastor. I'll never forget when I came home from my second year of university and said, Mom, I'm not pursuing that music degree any longer. I'm going to seminary to become a pastor. She hit the roof. I've never seen her so angry and upset in my entire life. And it would be years into the future before I would understand why. I transferred to a seminary in the Seattle area where I met Sharon, my wife, the most amazing woman I've ever known in my entire life. Every day, she saves me along with my Lord and Savior, Jesus. One evening, we were sharing family history. Hers very positive and joyful, and mine very dark and discouraging. Suddenly, I saw a just excitement, kind of a glimmer arise in her eyes as she told me that her two brothers-in-law had come from broken homes just like mine. You see a pattern, dear friends? Once again, the Lord was grafting me into a family that would cherish me as one of their own. Sharon's father, a seasoned pastor, taught me most of what I know about being a pastor. But more importantly, from day one, he never treated me as a son-in-law. He treated me like his own son. Truly, God places the lonely in families. The rest, they say, is history. In the ensuing years, I didn't always give the Lord my best. I'll admit that to you. My victories were punctuated by seasons of failure and inconsistency as I struggled against the anxiety and shame that often tortures children of substance-abusing parents. There's a pattern there that we all struggle against, and some of you know what I mean. Sometimes, when I forget to surrender to Jesus and give in to the desire to control my environment, I still battle those lingering demons. For years, I was baffled by a verse that Mr. B had written in the liner of my Bible. It actually made me angry. Much is required from those to whom much is given, and much more is required from those to whom much more is given. What had I been given that was so great? I grew up without a father. 
My family lived on the brink of poverty with substance abuse, physical abuse, and horrible brokenness year after year after year. My mother disappeared for days on end, leaving me to fend for myself. In fact, Sharon and I talked recently because our youngest daughter and son-in-law are involved as foster care parents. If I lived in this day, I probably would have been removed from the home and put into the foster care program because of the abuse and the neglect of my mother. I resented her for the humiliation I suffered as a child when I would go out searching for her in the local bars. I'd usually find her slumped over the counter and she would look at me and push me away and laugh me to scorn. My striving to make sense of it all only led to gnawing questions and doubts. In the early morning hours of July 1999, when I was pastoring in the Seattle area, I was awakened at 2 in the morning by a telephone call from Fairbanks Memorial Hospital in Alaska. Mother had passed. Thankfully, she surrendered her life to the Lord a few years earlier. And this won't surprise you, those of you who know Sharon, not through my influence, but because my wife loved her back to the Lord Jesus Christ. My wife and I returned to my hometown where I conducted mom's funeral. I'll never forget in the middle of the service in a small chapel, the doors burst open and down the aisle came one of mom's drinking partners, so inebriated he could hardly speak and he wanted to give tribute to my mom. And I thought in my mind, this is just a snapshot of what my entire life has been about as I struggled to regain control of that service. The next day, we began the poignant task of sorting through mom's meager possessions. We went through layer after layer of different articles and different things that were precious to her. Suddenly, my gaze narrowed as I came upon a newspaper clipping about her father, a man I had met only once. The article began, Reverend Mose Campbell, Baptist pastor, and it went on from there. I poured over the words again and again and again, drinking in the revelation. My grandfather had been a pastor? Why did my mother keep this secret from me all, the, all these years? As the shock of this discovery subsided, the pieces of her fragmented past started making sense for the first time. All the years scarred by mother's stubborn, violent refusal to accept Christ and her outright hostility to God's call on my life began to make sense. You see, mom had 
departed, walked away from Jesus at a very early age to escape the poverty of the Deep South in Johnson City, Tennessee. And through the accumulation of poor decisions that always happen when Jesus is not the center of our lives, she had reached a point where she felt that God could never forgive her and never welcome her back until Sharon, through her love and acceptance, caused mom to see that there's never a pit so deep, never a sin so huge that it can separate us from God's love. The remorse of abandoning her spiritual legacy was a tool that Satan tried to use to sever the cord of faith and deny salvation to my family. You see, I'm the last male member of my family. When I go to heaven, my family line comes to an end. It does live on through my daughters. God had a better plan, dear friends. Looking back, I began to trace the outline of God's design. Long before I was born, He fashioned a plan of restoration. At precisely the right moment, the Holy Spirit reached out to a little boy in that small church in Fairbanks, Alaska. God called me and saved me. Along the way, He nurtured me by placing spiritual fathers and surrogate families into my life. He gave me a beautiful, amazing wife and two wonderful children who continue the legacy of faith founded by my grandfather. At last, I understood the meaning of that verse which the Spirit prophetically moved moved Mr. B to write in my Bible. Much is required from those to whom much is given, and much more is required from those to whom much more is given. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, I know that you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have the faith of your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. My constant prayer is that I may live a life pleasing to God so that one day others will say, His grandchildren earnestly trust the Lord, for they have the faith of their grandfather. There are three applications I'd like to leave with you this morning, and they all involve one simple little phrase, But God. But God. How many of you in this room today could say, I would have been headed down a path of destruction, of hopelessness, of despair. But God. Every one of us has a but God in our lives. The first application is simply this. Pastors don't always come from charmed circumstances. You know that now, right? Many of the individuals on our ministry staff grew up in Christian homes or their parents came to the Lord Jesus when they were still quite young. That wasn't my experience. But I think it's important that you know whether we grew up in Christian homes or we grew up in dire circumstances, 
It's our desire to be transparent and authentic with you. When you come to talk with us about a struggle that you're going through, it's important for us to admit, I went through something like that in my early life. I understand your struggle. I have a sense of what you're going through. But let me come alongside you and tell you how Jesus will not leave you there, but will take you through the valley of the shadow of death out to the other side. I think it's important for you to know that pastors go through tough times just like you do, so that when you come and you talk with us, we're in this together. You don't have to have us up on a pedestal feeling that, boy, they've never been through the things I'm going through, so how can they identify with me? We know and we care. Secondly, I give much because much has been given to me. It's not an effort to serve at Black Rock Church. It's not drudgery. It's not a hardship. It's not difficult. It's a joy. And it should be for all of us, whether we are vocational ministers or volunteers, because we're allowed to say, Lord, you died for me. You gave up the greatest thing that any person can give to another. And it's a joy every moment of my life to give back a little bit of what you have sacrificed for me. Let's serve joyfully in all that we do. I think it's possible to worship God whether we're cleaning the bathrooms of the church or whatever task we're doing because God has given so much to us. And finally, if God can rescue me, He can rescue you. Aren't we great at putting on our masks when we come to church? We all look so polished and cleaned up and beautiful. Most of the time, people would not know that we're hurting inside. Some of you are probably struggling with some kind of an addiction here today. Some of you are struggling with a marriage that's deeply broken and painful. Some of you are struggling with inward demons that keep you from living the joyful life Jesus died to give to you. And I just want to stand before you very humbly today. Not an easy thing to open up your life even before people you love. But I took that risk with you today to say, Dear friends, I don't care what you're going through, but God, but God, but God. No matter what you're facing today, if God can rescue me, He can rescue you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for taking a boy in the second grade and saying, I will not let the enemy have him. I will rescue him and claim him for my own. And Lord, as we gather around this table to celebrate Holy Communion, 
I pray that you would make it real to us how much you love us, how much you've sacrificed in order to communicate, I love you. And there's nothing that you've faced in the past, nothing that you're confronting today, and nothing that you will deal with in the future. That my love and my grace and my power and my plan is unable to overcome because I am the great I am. And with me, all things are possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.